BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Rather than critique or score films out of five or ten or tell you what we love or what we hate, I sit down with the filmmaker and get them to give us an insight into the process of making their movie, what they discovered, what they learned, all those kind of things. Or I get to sit down with a horror film fan and get them to tell me five great British horror films that they think we should all take interest in. Either way, this podcast is provided totally free without any outside advertising. So, if you enjoy it, please make sure to subscribe in iTunes, and if you've got that bit more time, write me a review too. It all helps. Thank you. Welcome to another BitFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today I've got with me Tim Plester. Hello, Tim. Hello, Stuart. I always love doing the intro, because what the audience obviously isn't privy to is that we've just had a chat for 20 minutes, and I'm, yes. now, saying, I'm now saying hello to you again. Um, well, that's probably the best bit was the 20 minutes we've just we've just done. Let's, let's try and do some good stuff in this bit as well. I'm not uh, sure Jamie Carragher spitting at someone is going to be uh, informative but of a, of a documentary about Shirley Collins, but uh, we'll see. Now that, that, that's it's not in of itself, no, but you never know. You might be able to weave it in. Right. I, you've done the documentary, uh, The Ballad of Shirley Collins, who, before I'd seen your documentary, I'd seen the uh, noisy Q&A with John Doran, who's someone I used to know through, I contributed a couple of things to Quietus and through music journal world, I kind of know him. Um, and in the, in the opening thing, he describes her as the most important living voice in British folk music, which, which is really interesting to me because until I saw that interview, I didn't know who Shirley Collins was, um, to my shame, given that I, A, been a music journal at some point, and B, would consider myself a music fan. So, before before we get into all that, um, do you want to give people a brief synopsis of what, how you would describe the documentary? Um, well, I mean, I'd, I'd, let me just pick up on, on that in terms of, I think that is kind of a, a key aspect of the, the kind of film that we tried to make, Stuart, is that, you know, she is, she is widely regarded as, you know, the most important um, singer of English traditional song of the 20th century, um, but is kind of you know, uh, not that well known. I mean, I think she's, she's, 
her star is on the rise again, uh, and I think more and more people are finding out about her. Um, <clears throat> and she may be one of those people that people have heard, but maybe did just didn't know the name. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but I mean, part of the reason why I think maybe she's not as well known as perhaps she should be, and this is this is essential to the, to the film that we've made, is that for thirty seven years. Shirley um, did not sing. Uh, she didn't sing live, uh, and she didn't put any um, albums out. Um, so her story is basically she was uh, a big cheese in the folk scene in uh, the late fifties into the sixties and the seventies, uh, and then she she lost her voice mm. and. Um, not disappeared, but she then was no longer putting music out. Um, and there's a story behind why she lost her voice as well, which we can get to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we decided to, myself and my co-director, Rob Curry, uh, we were approached to make um, this film about Shirley Collins. We'd previously made a film called Way of the Morris, which was our first feature-length documentary, which was a film about... Morris dancing, mm-hmm. uh, uh, specifically Morris dancing in a in a small uh, village in Oxfordshire called Adderbury, which is where I'm from. Okay, um, which is again why we why we made that film was because it had uh, there was a personal story to be told about Morris dancing in in my village and and we we used it as a way of trying to tackle that kind of um, aspect of Morris dancing that we struggle with in this country of you know being a the butt of um, jokes mm. with people really understanding what it is or maybe never even having seen it. It's just become a kind of punchline to a, uh, to a million different jokes. But that, so that film, we tried in that film to try and capture something about Morris dancing and deal with Englishness and English tradition in a way we kind of felt we hadn't really seen anyone else trying to do on, on screen before. And, um, because of that, um, we were approached to, to make a film about Shirley Collins because somebody had seen, the, the Morris dancing film. And in, in fact, interestingly, Shirley herself had seen the Morris dancing film. So when she was approached with the idea about somebody making a documentary and the names, my name and Rob Curry's name were proposed to her, it was very helpful to us that she'd seen the film because she said, well, those guys did a really good job with the Morris dancing film. Um, I trust them to, to, to do a good job with, with my life story as well. So th- uh, in that instance, then at that point, are you fully aware of, who Shirley is, or are you are you being invited into Shirley Collins's world there and go? Okay, we need to know this. Well, I I I did grow up in a in a folk listening household. My dad okay. um, used to listen to folk music when I was when I was younger, so I knew the name, mm-hmm. but I didn't really know that much about Shirley's uh, career. I have to be honest. I, I knew you know I did know the name. I'd always known the name. And in fact, I mean, as a kid, I used to tell my dad to to turn folk music off you know it was like <laughs> i remember him playing some fairport convention in the in the car once and actually opening the door of the car and threatening to jump out of the car if he didn't stop playing folk music to me it was it was that severe at one at one point in my life that's no idle threat that tim uh well f- luckily you know it, it didn't come to that and the, the, <laughs> the fairport was switched off and i you know the small child did not jump out of the car um but so there was a certainly a, a level of getting to know Shirley's story that, that uh, both myself and Rob had to then undertake in terms of making the film. I think on a, on a, 
on a base level, we, we, we thought we were going to make a film about somebody who didn't sing anymore. Uh, and we thought that in itself would be an interesting um, story to tell. Mm-hmm. But during the course of making the film, which took four years uh, from, you know, conception to finally um, completing it yeah. during four year period, Shirley actually started to make noises that she wanted to try and sing again. Um, and that evolved over time to her recording a new uh, album, which is called Lodestar, which was released uh, not last year, back end of 2020. What are, you, what are we in now? 2016. 2016. I think it came out the back end of 2016. It would have come out and did really, really well. It was very, very well received and, um, uh, you know, brought Shirley to a, to a new audience, um, <clears throat> people who didn't know who she was. And so the film actually became a film about somebody who'd lost their voice, uh, regaining their voice, mm. uh, which actually was, you know, for us, a, a blessing uh, in terms of giving us a kind of extra strand to her, uh, our whole narrative, really. Um, and I think as well helped make what we tried to do is make a film that, um, you know, b- would appeal to folk music fans, Shirley Collins fans, but also just to people who are interested in, uh, human beings and human experiences and, and you know, th- this idea of somebody losing something that was so essential to them and then refinding it, hopefully that's much more of a, a universal story. You know, it happens to be folk singing in this instance, but it could equally be, you know, anything that somebody um, was passionate about and was and was kind of deprived of and then, you know, quite an, a late, period in their life Shirley's 84 now mm. so, you know it wasn't she, she it was quite late on in her life that she decided she wanted to do this thing again she missed it she um you know her life had been the less for not doing it and she wanted to try and get it back and it wasn't easy and I think the film reflects that as well or we tried to make it reflect that as well it didn't come naturally to her it was it was tough and it was, you know, 37 years of not doing it. Um, it took a certain amount of, uh, of bravery on her part and also because her back catalogue was so revered, you know, I think she felt very conscious of, um, you know, it's a bit like the Stone Roses doing that second album. You know, there comes a point when it's like, just leave it now, lads. Just, mm. just leave it because we've got this one and it will stand for all time. As one of the great albums, don't mess it up now. Well, whatever you do now cannot be as good as that. So probably best to leave it alone. Um, given 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 that Shirley was and is so revered as as this icon of folk music. Yes. Before you started to talk to Shirley about what you were going to do and what you might do in terms of the documentary, how much pressure did you and Rob feel about wanting to get the uh, get the right story across because obviously it, it's not pop music. Yeah. Yeah. But, but clearly uh, there's reverberations around what you would consider the folk world that accepts that she's, she is like a, 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 a number one figure as it were. Yeah. I mean, you know, there is, there is, there is the folk police. They do exist. I, I mean, imagine. I but, imagine. Um, yes, you do. You know, I think on one level, We'd kind of encountered it a little bit with the Morris dancing film. Yeah. Um, and that had helped us kind of uh, develop a slightly thickish 
skin towards <laughs> it. Um, in that, you know, it's that thing that there's there's certain people who are so into something that whatever you do, they're not gonna. It's not gonna be enough for them. So mm. you can't you can't try and uh, please those people. And in fact, we actually decided very early on we were we were if anything going to try and do something that might even put their noses out of joint a little bit. Okay. Um, in that we didn't want to tell a traditional biopic or a rockumentary, folkumentary, if you like. Indeed. Um, uh, in that, you know, I think, I, I, you know, this is per speaking personally and speaking for Rob, um, we both felt we'd seen too many of um, those kind of films where you get a succession of famous people, talking heads, telling you about the person who the film's about and, and why they're brilliant. And then you go chronologically through their career and tick off all the seminal moments, albums, singles, uh, until you get to the present day, you know, whether the person's still alive or not, you know, you can get to that point or you can get to a point where they're still alive and, you know, what are they doing now? Mm. Uh, we just, we just decided very early on we didn't want to make that kind of film. Um, and and can, can, Tim, from a, from a viewing sure. point of view, that's, it's really, it's, it's, it, at first, it's really it's really unnerving, if I'm honest with you, because you're kind of going, I'm meant yeah. to be watching a, a thing about someone who's famous historically in music, and yeah. they're not giving me a beginning a beginning to a story here as, in the true sense as I'd expect it. And like you say, yes. expectations are somebody who's a big fan of him tells you yeah. exactly yeah. what you're meant to think about this thing, and then you go, oh, do I agree or not? Um, <laughs> whereas what you've done is set up a series of interactions with very different people yep. to explore different facets of, of who Shirley Collins is. And I thought that was really, really exciting once, once I got that. Because, yes, for example, yes. the first one, I think, is Stuart Lee, isn't it? Yes, yeah, we, we put Stuart towards the top just in, just in terms of, you know, a, adding, adding a, you know, as a, as a kind of... Uh, nod of the hat to that kind of way of filmmaking. We thought we'd put a, you know, mm. a celebrity face near the top of the film to kind of uh, just assure, reassure you slightly that, you know, um, although we're not quite doing that thing that you expect, here is, here's Stuart Lee, he's going to tell you. But his oh. questions were, what must it have been like to be a young girl going on her own to America? Now, that's not what I'm yes. expecting. And already... <laughs> Yeah. You, you've already whipped the carpet, and then, and like for me personally, I'm like in. You know, it's like right, yes. this isn't going to be typical, and actually, I'm going to get to understand who she is because I can I can read a Wikipedia page that tells me what record she's made. Well, that, I mean, that's kind of our argument as well in the world that we live in now, Stuart. Is everyone can read a Wikipedia page, everyone can go on YouTube and watch footage of her, you know, or listen to or you know, SoundCloud some of her music. You know, what mm. what what in this day and age? can a film do that you can't get elsewhere through mm. medium of the internet um and so that was definitely part of our of our thinking in, in terms of trying to approach the story in a different way and also because we in terms of telling a more universal story we we were very interested in the idea of trying to make a film about an 84 year old woman who lives in a cottage in sussex you know mm. who just happens to be uh, you know this revered folk singer. It kind of there was an element of thinking about 
And certainly something I think I learned from making the film is that we all, you know, on every day of our lives, we probably have some kind of cursory interaction with an octogenarian hmm. who, you know, we may acknowledge, probably don't, uh, you know, may have to ask them to move so we can sit down on the bus or whatever. But it struck me that these people that we see every day, we just see as old people. They've all got... They will all have, if you were to just sit down with them for 10 minutes and have a cup of tea with them, they would have some amazing stories to tell you. These people have lived for a long time through a really interesting period in human history. Mm. They will have seen some shit, you know, and, and we could probably all learn a bit from from listening to older people more, you know. And so yeah. there was an element of that about trying to give Shirley status as, look, here's a, a woman of a certain age. Let's. Who else is making films about 84-year-old women? Mm. And not many people. So there was an element of just wanting to make a film that gave, you know, some space and platform for an 84-year-old woman to tell us, you know, about her life, her world, what she's seen, what she believes in. No, and, that, and that's kind of, then, then inadvertently, because obviously the conversations are always going to kind of orbit the music, but the questions yes. can't always be, how did you make that record? Which would have, been, which would have got benign very quickly. Instead, yeah. it's like, it's about her. So then what we get, like you say, because of the 84 years of her life, you get, you get a people's history of English, British folk music, even American folk music, um, yeah. through the eyes and ears of one person, which is the truth in terms of her, isn't it? It's not the truth. It's, yeah, I, it, it's it, our truth. And therefore you can, it leads you to go, well, there's something, if I, if I enjoy this, there's somewhere I can go and explore this now, inspired by how she felt about it, how she described it. That, I mean, that was really our thinking, Stuart, it was to actually leave people at the end of the film to, if they wish to find out more, not just about Shirley, but about traditional English music, then it's yeah. over to you. Now we've given you, you know, a, a hint of it and a flavour of it. And what we tried to do was make a film that was kind of more about what Shirley Collins stands for, if you like, mm. in terms of, you know, folk music and its importance and where it comes from and, and why it's important and why it needs, why it should endure, uh, why it does endure, uh, mm. you know, other than just a kind of potted history of, I mean, we, we kind of deliberately and, and quite, you know, people have taken umbrage with this, um, uh, with this aspect of the film, but we've we've deliberately avoided her entire recording career in the film. We barely talk about it. Mm. There are some albums on a table at one point to kind of to suggest it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we do not go chronologically through the albums. There's, there's huge swathes of her recording career we we don't even talk about. There's husbands we don't even talk about. Um, well, no, know, I mean, I mean, I know. As I, I was saying to you before before we started that I, I'm, I'm making notes while I'm watching, and it's interesting you, you, how you describe it because when I was watching it, I, I, all I simply wrote was, "There's so much joy in all our interactions with the people you put her in front of." Yeah, that's what I got watching it. Not, not I thoroughly understand British folk music. <laughs> yeah, my, my experience watching Shirley was the joy of her talking about herself. I guess. And I'm and I'm guessing you wouldn't have known at some point, but I guess at a certain point you would have. In her head, which obviously you can't see, she's considering whether I record music or not. That's yeah. happening anyway, but you don't know that necessarily. Or did you know that from the moment you started shooting, or did that happen during the shooting? It, it definitely started during the shooting, but I think, you know, without kind of um, 
lauding ourselves too much. The the process of making the film is mm. really essential in terms of Shirley's decision to sing again. Okay. Uh, and I'm t I'm, I say that because she's actually told us that, not just because I kind of sense it or I, I, I want to believe that that's true. Yeah. Um, I think what it comes from, it, but it comes right from the fact that we we began the, the fundraising for the film uh, was done initially through a Kickstarter campaign. Okay. And so I think going right back to that moment, so we did a launch event, uh, Cafe Otto in London to launch mm -hmm. the Kickstarter and Stuart Lee was involved at that stage as well and Stuart compared it and um, uh, various people came and played live. Graham Coxon from Blur came and played live. He's, he's a big Shirley fan mm. as well. And, you know, we sold out Cafe Otto for this launch and we reached our Kickstarter goal and surpassed it. Absolutely. And I think the process of this was, even at that stage, was saying to Shirley, look, at all these people who care about you, who care about your music, who want this film to get made. And I think that began the bubbling process of, you know, the, uh, maybe I should do this again. There's, there's a lot of people out there who mm. would like me to do it. And then, yeah, the people we brought into the, to the film to talk to her all were kind of helping to enhance this, this idea of, look, you are important. Um, you haven't been forgotten. Um, if you feel up to it, you know, there, there is, there are people who are going to be very supportive of you, uh, trying to do this again. Um, so yeah, I mean, it evolved over time and I think probably about halfway through the recording process, we, we, we got an inkling that it was, that's what she, um, wanted to try and do. And then so, and you see it in the film, she recorded the album at home as well, just to keep it very um, comfortable, as comfortable as it possibly could be for her, that she didn't want to go into a big a sound studio and meet producers she didn't know. She wanted to do it uh, lo-fi at home as a, a more of a, as a field recording. Yeah, uh, over, over fish, pie and peas, which I just loved. Yes, <laughs> yes. I just loved well, all that, that. Well, that again ties into the old lady at home making a cup of tea, you know. It's like, yeah. look. If you record an album with Shirley Collins at home, you get fed, you know, a fantastic fish pie and peas. Now, uh, now, given given this, given this part, given this is what come, you know, we build to this finale, and the way you introduce her at the beginning, so we know who she is. Yes. The, the big, the big sort of tipping point and crux of the film is this idea that a singer who is revered stops singing in 1980. That becomes. I mean, I, met, I, was watch, I watched the film with my wife, and the first question she asked me was, Do, how did she lose her voice? I said, I'm sure we're going to find out in the film. Um, yeah. Because that's, that's, that's hanging there. You leave us hanging there at first. You, don't, you just say she did. You don't say how. And you, yes. build, yeah. you, 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 you introduce us to her, and then you introduce the idea. And I thought it was... It was it, it's, it's really... And the idea that heartbreak, not over-singing, is, yeah. is what did it, is... Is heartbreaking to watch as as a viewer. That what she describes that 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 conversation with the the, the um with the psychiatrist John uh, I forget his surname now. Um, yes, John the psychiatrist. Let's John, just call him John Tully. Doctor John. Yes. Doctor John Tully. Yeah, Doctor John. Yes. Um, is a that's not unusual. And so that's unusual as a as a way of getting the audience to know what's going on because he then becomes the psychiatrist, yeah. not not the interviewer. 
Yes, um, yeah. Where, I mean, A, did you talk to her about that to, uh, to, to, get, to make her comfortable at that idea? And I mean, I was a music blogger as well, but yeah, yeah, he certainly sounds more like a psychiatrist than a music blogger in that <laughs> segment of the documentary. Um, and, and and sort of B, did you begin to understand making the film that this pivotal point in your story, not not her whole story, but your story you're telling, was this idea of the voice? Um, I mean, yeah, I mean. Dr. John's unique selling point is the fact that he is a psychiatrist and a music blogger. So um, of course, yeah, yeah. That, that was kind of specifically why we chose him. Mm. Um, and he, he ties into that thing we've been talking about, about the other people that we chose to talk to mm. early on screen. We, we also decided early on we didn't want to have a kind of traditional us off screen asking questions of Shirley who would then be talking to kind of towards the camera, but we want just because we'd Shirley's done a lot of that in her career. You know, she, she does, you can look, you know, a cursory look on YouTube. You'll, you'll find these interviews, the one you were talking about um, earlier, you know, that that do exist. So it was about trying to find a a different way of um, approaching subject matters because Shirley, because she, I mean, Shirley's written, there's a second one about to come out so i can say she's written two autobiographies of her okay. life so this is somebody who's aware of projecting themselves um to the public and she's aware of uh, you know how to tell a story about she's familiar with anecdotes and and she gets asked the same questions a lot and we wanted to try and then short circuit that by presenting these scenarios in the film where She's not being interviewed, but she's talking to somebody. She's having a chat with somebody. Mm. And then the piece de resistance, I think, probably is the scene um, in the church with the psychiatrist. Because mm. that was somebody she didn't know. Everybody else she she knew. She didn't. There was a folk singer called Sam Amadon that she'd never met before. Right. He's in the film. But everybody else, she, she knew them. She knew Stuart Lee quite well. She knew David Tibet from Current 93 very well. There's another folk singer called L. Osborne in the film, who she yeah. knows very well. She's a lo- local. They both live in Sussex. Uh, but she'd never met the psychiatrist before. And that was that was a deliberate attempt on our part to, yeah, to short circuit through the what, – what we were discovering from a, a lot of time we spent with Shirley is when we approached certain subject matters, particularly the question of, you know, what happened with losing your voice. Mm. Uh, there would be you would almost see a light in her eyes like a rolodex moment i used to describe it that it would just her eyes would flick backwards she'd search backwards in the rolodex and then pull out the the anecdote right just heard it a few too many times uh not just with us but with other interviews we'd seen online and it was like she just she has a standard response to that question and how do we get beyond that how do we get to something more uh raw if you like and pure mm. the thinking was to get the psychiatrist in and to do it in a church as well so there was a sense of confession about it as well uh and she well, had well, i was going to say there's a certain irony in what you just described to me in that setup that she starts off the conversation by saying she could move in and live here and put the beds <laughs> in isn't it i mean she's familiar with the building but I did, obviously you don't know watching it that she's not familiar as familiar with the person she's talking to, which is quite interesting. That's quite a, quite an interesting irony. Yeah, yeah. So she, I mean, that 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 place was basically suggested to us 
by Shirley. One of the things we did early on again is we spoke to Shirley a lot about Sussex, which is her, you know, where she comes from, and it's really important to her Sussex. And we we got a list of her favourite places in Sussex, and then we tried to find a reason to weave them into the film. And so the the church there, which is the Rom, is in the Romney Marshes, mm. uh, spoken about that. And so it was about trying to find a way to get that into the film. And we we happened upon that idea of of getting the psychiatrist in there in the pews. Um, you know, very quiet space, um, and just to try and get beneath the skin of, of this this thing, you know, this massive thing, something that she stopped stopped doing, the thing that she loved, you know, and 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 we, I, you know, we got lucky on the day as well, you know, it worked, it mm. was a good ball, but we 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 kind of put the ducks in in the line that we thought we'd get something different or interesting from. Because uh, there were other times when we'd interviewed Shirley about that specific moment, but it hadn't ever quite, um, hadn't quite ever got to the, the heart of the matter, if you like, or the, the heartbreak of the matter. No, no, no. Me and me, 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 yeah. my wife were looking at each other through the entire through the entire that entire sequence. It was, it was just unraveling right in front of you because it was the it was the kind of it was information you needed to know. But then once you began to know it, you were like, oh my god, this is this is proper revelatory. This isn't just. Like you say, just another rock anecdote. It is she's given us something that that, that documentaries can can do when 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 documentarians spend spend time with someone, they can find this moment, can't they? If if they're lucky, I th- I think so. I think I mean that's the that's the key thing that I would say. You know, if if you can as a documentarian, you know, it's about spending that time with with people, you know, and spending mm-hmm. time with them when you're not filming with them as well, and just. Um, Getting to know them, getting well, them getting to know you as well, and and mm-hmm. so that Shirley would trust us with that scenario to say, Shirley, um, we're going to go to this church today. Uh, we're going to do an, uh, an interview in there with this psychiatrist that you've never met before. He's a lovely guy. He loves your music. Um, he, is that okay? You find, are you all right with that? You know, and yeah. that came quite. You know, it was that was certainly wasn't day one of the shoot. That was a good way into the filming and Shirley by that point um you know trusted us enough to to go with us on that day and and go to that place for us mm. now, um, now now one of the things that that I I I found equally interesting because it takes me to a different conclusion even though what what you what you're telling me is the 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 meeting with Alan Lomax and the journey across America to yes. to find this other folk music that's out in the in the, I guess the, 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 a lot of the black states, southern states of America. Yes, yes. And yet, and and that's a big part, a big part of what you're letting us experience watching the film, as well as these interactions with diff, these different conversations, intimate conversations with people that you set her up with that she knows, and obviously in the psychiatrist's case doesn't know. Um, and this plays into, um, and, and unfortunately I've not seen you, Morris Dancing one, but but the, <laughs> but the my overwhelming feeling was was. Um, was about Englishness, and yeah, I, rem- I mean, this is the, this comes from personal experience first, and then it, it it only gets magnified every time I see it, and I don't understand why. Um, I remember going to Glasgow University Union, and there was a you know Grebo room or whatever in the early nineties, and there was goth in this room, but then yeah. on the on the third floor there was Cayley music, and yet there was people dressed as I would associate with like a rock club doing Kaylee dancing Scott completely 
un, you know, no irony, no, just completely involved in it, but they didn't look like someone that would be dancing to Kenny music. Equally, yeah. I've been to Ireland and seen similar, similar things where there's an engagement with what is your traditions. Whereas, yes. and like, like you said earlier on, there is a kind of one note joke that England has decided to play on its traditions. And, and I got it, and maybe, maybe it was just, because of because of Brexit and all these questions about what it means to be English and where our identity is, yeah, I feel like rock and roll, which is ostensibly American. I know, <laughs> yeah. we've, I know we've, I know we had the the, the trade backwards and forwards, and, and some British bands were obviously very very influential in defining what pop music and rock and roll was. But I yeah. think rock and roll, more than anything else, is probably been the death knell of what you would call traditional English identity because we don't know what it is anymore because we're so confused as opposed yeah, to our yeah. Celtic cousins. I mean, this is only my view. This isn't obviously an academic learned view at all. It's only my through experience, but you're watching your film. I couldn't help think reflecting on all those things as well. Well, I mean, it, it, it did feel like a, a, with, with, I mean, obviously Brexit hadn't happened when we started making the film, mm. but with, with it happening, I do think it's given the film an extra resonance in terms of subject uh, topics that we were trying to deal with, mm. with anyway, and trying to deal with, you know, you've got Shirley who, uh, you know, at a time when people are, Shirley is almost the perfect person to really talk about English identity without it becoming some kind of, you know, negative, uh, closing border kind of, um, you know, Brexit mm. subject matter. Um, and we, we knew, we knew when we started making the film that the great, one of the great things as well about making film about Shirley Collins is she comes from Sussex and we know that in Sussex, me and Rob knew straight away there were these two great, um, mm. surviving pagan, uh, festivals, uh, uh, the Lewis Bonfire and the Hastings Jack in the Green Festival. So we knew we had to get both of those two things into the to the to the film because we'd both been to see them just as punters. Yeah, and had always wanted to try and you know put them on screen somehow. And so Shirley gave us the the conduit through which to um, weave those aspects of English culture in. And you know it's it's kind of what me and Rob have ended up doing to a certain degree is trying to make films that deal with this idea of English culture and English identity. And it, and it, and it is a tricky um, thing to deal with, you know, it really, it really even before Brexit, it's, it's, it was, it's always been a, a no, no, my entire life. I mean, I've, like I yeah. say, I'm, I'm referring back to going to Scotland in 92 and, yeah. and being astonished that people my age were so comfortable doing traditional Scottish things that, yes. they, that they were celebrating and I think it's this I think and it's it's just I mean in, in a way it's semantics but you know it's like you can tradition is is a is 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 embracing something whereas projection is about pushing things away and saying get out of my way I'm yeah. English which isn't yeah. about tradition at all that's about bullying and I maybe that's because if you I mean having you know having lots of Scottish and Irish friends you know they they England is the Houses of Parliament even though it would claim to be the Houses of Parliament for the United Kingdom you know yeah, for sure. L London gets all the money so even the northwest the northeast the southwest of England would argue that they're just as disenfranchised to whatever Englishness is meant to be from a institutional uh, point of view yeah absolutely it, yeah yeah but it doesn't get the benefits of being Wales or Scotland 
Um, I've had this with filmmakers who, who somebody was on, who did the Shankly documentary, and there is no regional fund for English identity to do with football, despite it being an integral part. But because yeah. because the film was about a Scottish football manager, he could talk to Creative Scotland because it fitted in with their remit. Yeah. That has got to be the most bonkers thing I've heard. You know, in terms of how, and that's that's us at an institution level. We cannot define English culture. We have no idea. And I think, and it was just weird. Well, I mean, I, I, it's it's only one conclusion. I'm sure if I sat and thought about it long enough, I could come up with others. But it was it, it dawned on me that maybe maybe the whole kind of 60s, 70s rock and roll revolution, of which we were a big important part of, yeah. has actually been the kind of final death knell of, and then 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 you know. The, the dressing well, up as a plant and whatever becomes a joke that nobody can take seriously because they don't want to be reminded of that. And I don't know why. Well, I mean, it's interesting. That we talk, rock and roll is interesting in that, you know, it, if, you, if you, you know, when you start talking about it and you start, it's one of those things, if you like, that, um, you know, w- what we're very good at in this country hmm. uh, as an island nation is taking something from somewhere else and kind of doing something with it and then handing it back. You know, I think I think that rock and roll is a good example of that. Um, it comes out of if you think about the Beatles, you know, who are probably you know the most important um, band in in that kind of mm. journey of rock and roll. Uh, you know, they they start as a skiffle band, and skiffle comes out of folk music. So there is a definite um, journey there. But you then, know. but you see, then folk music. If you think about that transaction, was the first export in the music. You know, the Mayflower goes over and ever. All the other Northern Europeans head to Americas. Yeah, and folk music is what's coming from them. That then, well, and then, I mean, and, then and then hits the the. I guess hits it's it then fused with then the black culture of of what slavery brought. Yes. with music. Yeah. And then comes back to us again, late, you know, much later on. I mean, I'm, I'm being completely inaccurate, I suppose, in my summary, but I'm trying to keep it general, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, what Shirley discovered on that trip in 1959 with, with uh, Alan Lomax, who was, you know, this great American yeah. ethnomusicologist, who yeah. he, you know, him and his, his dad before him had, had taken it upon themselves to try and capture these old songs, you know, that were in danger of, of dying out. And mm. what Shirley discovered in the mountains of the Ozarks and the Appalachians in 1959 is these old English, Scottish, Irish ballad songs, which mm. had gone across, you know, with those early pioneers and been preserved uh, in the new country when they'd actually died out in the old country. Yes, yeah, amazing. And he was able to bring some of them back and repatriate them. Mm. If you like, and bring them back to to to, to our old country, mm. whereas we the previous film we did about Morris dancing, Billy, uh, Billy Bragg was in that, and he talks his kind of argument for what happened in this kind of fracture in the continuum is you know with the industrial revolution, mm. which, you know England is the first country really to do that. It kind of breaks, it severs a tie at that point with our. Uh, rural heritage, which you know we've struggled ever since to kind of um, reconnect with, and something that I think is interesting in terms of my journey over the last few years, or mine and Rob's journey over the last few years of making the Morris dancing film and now the Shirley Collins film is so often when I talk to people about English folk dance or Morris dancing, people say to me, "Oh, you mean like um, Maypole dancing?" Mm. And I say, "No." absolutely not like maypole dancing because the problem with maypole dancing is it was invented by the victorians 
before the Victorians, you had something called Jack in the Green, which mm. we show in the film, which they still do in Hastings. And back then, so in, a, in pagan times, what you had is somebody dressing up as a tree, mm. dancing around, fertilizing the crowd. Now, the Victorians come along. Oh, and they don't they, like that. <laughs> they say, well, we're not sure about this. How about if we kill the tree? So we'll have a dead tree and we dance around the tree instead. So maypole dancing is a complete corruption of the much earlier, more anarchic, pagan Jack in the Green. There's um, no conspiracy there, is there? No conspiracy. <laughs> Uh, no, that that right. That's that, my soapbox. I'll get off the soap. No, 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 no. I like it. I mean, it's not. It's, it's not. It's not something I'm, I'm overly familiar with, and it's sort of it. it, it my 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 lurch to uh, attack rock and roll was, was is a bit premature, given what you've just told me now. You know, it's 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 bit, it was a lot more. It was a much slower process. I just think, I guess I guess I saw the juxtaposition of of a folk music revival. Yes, reclaiming Englishness from from the from the new country. And at the same well, time, it was being destroyed by this other thing that was coming from the new country as well. But it's an interesting thing about, you know, what uh, in popular culture, what rises to, to the top is that, you know, I would talk to my dad often about, you know, what was it like? You know, you were alive in the in the 60s, dad. You know, were you listening to the, the Beatles and the Stones? He said, no, 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 everyone was listening to that. That was boring. I was listening to this weird folk music. I was listening to Fairport Convention, stuff like that, you know, and you realize that there was a whole sub genre of music going on in the 60s, um, which, you know, <laughs> that doesn't doesn't make it into the headlines. Well, um, no, I mean, my, my dad grew up in Liverpool, never saw the Beatles. <laughs> he was born in yeah. 1946. So how yeah. the hell did that happen if <laughs> if they were so ubiquitous? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But he, he he said to me that he was a Rolling Stones fan, so it was like he was he was opposite right. to what his city was being celebrated for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, they're, they're getting back to the. If I, you know, I know you haven't seen uh, the Morris dancing film, mm. but the, what we talk about in that is that uh, again, Morris dancing had, had, had died out a bit, like Shirley losing her voice. Morris dancing actually died out in most of the country for a long period of time. Because of the First World War, actually, there's a very kind of um, heartbreaking story about Morris dancing as well, which changed my understanding of it, is that, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, Morris team's young men went off to the First World War, and as we know, they didn't come back. Right, uh, okay. So... The dancing dies in the trenches with them. and, and there was, Literally uh, killed off. Literally, literally killed off. But then in the, in the late 60s, early 70s, there's an inter there's a revival of interest in Morris dancing and folk music. Mm. Um, and the two things um, connect with an album called Morris On, mm. which was 1973, I think that was released. Uh, and that is an album of folk of, of, of Morris dancing tunes, but played with electric instruments, which had never been done before. Nobody ever played. Uh, folk music with an electric guitar before. D you see, Bob Dylan ties into this as well, with mm. when he's plugging in his guitar and get being, being called a Judas mm. for playing electric folk music. But there's, so there's that whole, all of this is connected, and Shirley's part of this as well. Shirley is part of of that electrified folk music revival as well. Yeah. Uh, which I think people are becoming more and more aware of as the kind of, uh, everybody is kind of so familiar with the 
the Beatles and the Stones and the Kinks and all of that stuff, that they realised that beneath that, underneath this, there's this whole other scene going on, which in a way was a bit more anarchic and um, a bit more kind of, it was trying to look back to uh, not even their parents' generation, but the, their grandparents' generation was something a bit pure and something a bit, uh, maybe a rebellion against, you know, whatever rock and American rock and roll music. What's the, what's, what's the, where, where's the English identity here? But mm. it kind of got, it kind of got superseded and ultimately lost. If it was even in a, in a battle with rock and music, it clearly lost that battle, but it always survives. There are, there are, there will always be pockets of, and there have been several folk revivals, um, since and people, you know, I, I like to think there's a slightly agrarian metaphor for all of this, that, you know, sometimes these things need to die out and lie fallow for a while so that they can be rediscovered by a new generation and, and kind of reinvented uh, and reinvigorated. And one of the reasons we people laugh at Morris dancing in this country is because, you know, it's danced by old, you know, pot-bellied men. Mm. The reason it is is because they were the guys who revived it in the 70s. And yeah. they were old pot-bellied men there. They were young, vibrant, long-haired. You know, I, I, if you look at old footies, they look pretty wild and hairy and hippie. But they, it's just the same guys doing it. Now they've been doing it since 1970. It, kind yeah, of needs, yeah. it needs the new injection of of young blood. Or it doesn't, or it needs to die out again. You know? No, it's, I understand. Well, look, let's, before we finish, let's, let's tell people how they can see the ballad of uh, Shirley Collins. Yes, so um, we premiered at London Film Festival in October, and then there was um, we self-distributed it, so it went around the country um, and it's played something like seventy-two different towns and cities, um, and it's just about to come out on DVD. It comes out on DVD on the twenty-third of March, I think I'm correct in saying. Okay. Um, it comes out. You can buy it with. Um, it's like a double uh, CD DVD package through Fire Records or Earth Recordings, mm -hmm. um, and you get the soundtrack album and the DVD together. And there's also a limited edition pink vinyl of the um, soundtrack album as well. And on us on the soundtrack album, there's a lot of um, stuff from the film, obviously, but it's predominantly actually um a lot of the american stuff that she collected in 59 with um lomax a lot of it which has never been um released and then there's two tracks on the album which we found through our research for the for the movie of, of shirley singing in the 50s uh, old bbc recordings which again had never ever been released so Wow, well, look, we'll make sure we'll put some links in the show notes so people can get go to that direct from the podcast. Thank you, Stuart, thank you. Well, look, thank you very much, Tim, for giving us your time to talk about it. I mean, there's so much that you doing a story about Shirley Collins that we can talk about that, that we just yeah. haven't got time. But you We know. almost didn't even talk about the American trip at all, but that's kind of, yeah, there's, there's, hopefully it's quite a you know, rich, deep documentary for people to um, wade into. No, I think that, I mean, that's it. That was my experience watching it. It kind of simultaneously sort of, like, like, I, like I brought up, it made me think about Englishness and English identity. So I would, I would say, even just what you've told me about in Morris dancing film is that it feels like a continuation of your exploration of Englishness while at the same time giving us a, 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 a reminder of someone who was 
we've heard important and has a fantastic story to tell that has a wonderful and you know uh, what do you call it um joyous reawakening during the film i mean it's like she, she you know where it ends and how and, and the little text that runs up the screen i won't spoil it for those yeah. who haven't seen it yet is is like wow we've I've, I've just i feel like i've gone with her on that journey so i think for you to achieve that in a film i think is really is really is really exciting so congratulations well, on great. that front and I, and I you know I, I i think it's an inspirational story as well hopefully mm. you know it shows that you know even at a later age in your life you know why should you be uh, resting on your laurels you know if you can still get out there and try and do things change things uh, make things um and yeah I, I, I kind of alluded to this earlier on as well you know on one level it's a film about a woman of a certain age embracing her demons and achieving something amazing and i don't think regardless of the folk music aspect there's there's many films um out there that are doing that that are celebrating um you know, a strong female um, character of a certain age. No, and I think there's there's nothing else I can add to that. So let's let's close on that thought, and hopefully that gets people to tune into your film. Thank you, Stuart. Britflix.com podcast is provided totally free without any outside advertising. So if you enjoyed it, please make sure to subscribe at iTunes and write me a review. Thank you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.